This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jeremy Mack on today's show. Welcome to your preview, your prediction show. We are, I don't know, about less than 48 hours from kickoff, maybe a little, a little bit more than that, uh, from Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, uh, Oregon, who has moved up to number five in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, Washington has moved up to number three, so it's a top five matchup. Um, last, you know, Earlier this season, it was the first ever ranked first ranked matchup. Now it's the first ever top five matchup in this series. Uh, the games are getting bigger with more importance. It's very clear. Whoever wins goes to the playoffs. Um, in, in this case, in, in my opinion, at least I'm sure that things could maybe shake out and make it dicey, but that's what you look at. You look at you know, when, and you're probably in uh, to the college football playoff for both teams. Uh, probably how both would want, only want it. And it's a game in which, as the week has gone on, guys, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but the line of nine, nine and a half in favor of Oregon just feels off. I don't like. I don't know. I early in the week, I, I said I was going to predict a, a an Oregon win. Not want to go into spoilers alert, but like it just feels weird. And the fact that it hasn't changed at all, maybe we're recording this on Wednesday. Maybe by the time Friday rolls around, like that line will start to shift down. But is this Vegas saying that they feel like Oregon is maybe the second best team in the country, or do they know something with Michael Penix? Is it a combination or is it an inflated line? I don't know. It feels, it just feels strange. Well, just a quick thought here. Um, to your question about what Vegas thinks. I know the JP poll, which I've referenced before, that's Josh Pates. He has Oregon as the number two ranked team in the country based upon what his model says. Um, so maybe it really is just as much as the, the, the Vegas predictors, the people putting this together that have all that information. And, and like Josh has a model, really do think Oregon is 10 points better than Washington. I do think the Penix questions 
certainly seem to have pushed that line because I think it opened at Jared was seven and a half and then it quickly kind of moved. Is that correct? Um, it went from eight or eight and a half up to nine and a half. So okay. not a significant change by but any it, means. It moved a slight amount right after, you know, short, shortly after it was first. Announced. Well, it, it opened before Washington even played. So then they watched Washington and Washington state and then it went up. Okay. So, but no, I, I, I just think it's as simple as, yeah, Oregon has played really, really well and Washington hasn't, and there's no questions. And that line maybe is somewhat accurate, but I agree, Matt. It feels large considering that Washington is the, like, I feel like we're, we're, we're really kind of overlooked the Washington season to a certain degree because this is, we've talked about how impossible it has felt to go 9-0 and in this conference. Washington just did that, right? I mean, Washington is undefeated this season, and I'm sure their fan base and their players are feeling a little bit slighted this week with kind of the discussion. Because to Matt's point, like I've got my friend, Husky friend Sam, who I've referenced several times. One of the first things he sent me was A, the, 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 the betting line, and then B, the ESPN, you know, percentage of victory. And it's like Oregon by, you know, 74% or something. So um, it does feel like everything has shifted to oh, Oregon is going to win this game handily. And I don't know, maybe that's not the right discussion. Maybe we need to kind of recenter this. I understand why it is, and we'll get to some of the reasons why I think absolute Oregon could win by that margin. But I get that there's probably some folks in Seattle and maybe some folks that are just diehard Pac-12 fans kind of going like, that seems seems a little bit lopsided in Oregon's favor. I don't know. I think the line is justified. Uh, I don't think that's how the game is going to show out, but I think the line itself and the Vegas uh, and the JP poll and Vegas and all those guys, I think it's justified. I mean, Washington has had two wins in the conference play of over 10 points or 10 points or more. Uh, the last one came against USC at the very beginning of, of uh, November. Um, it's just been a different, these have been two different teams going down the stretch in the Pac-12. Um, you know, Oregon's closest game was against USC as well. And it just wasn't that close. Um, you know, they handled business against Utah and Utah. They handled business on the road against Arizona State. And then they've handled business at home as well. Um, they got, you know, they, they didn't cover the spread against Washington State, but that had to have, there had to be a touchdown with like 16, 20 seconds left in order for that to happen. Uh, you know, Washington had to kick a game winning field goal against Washington State. It just, they haven't passed the eye test. And Oregon is an analytics darling. Um, everybody or every computer, I guess, loves them in the way that they run their offense and their EPAs on both offense and defense. And, you know, they they grade out really well. Um, I think ESPN's SP Plus has Oregon as like the second or third te best team in the country. Obviously, the JP poll has them doing quite well on a neutral side, which is exactly what this is in Las Vegas this weekend. Um, so I think the line is justified in terms of uh, being that high. And Oregon, the line hasn't shifted, but the over-under has moved down half a point, and Oregon has become – uh, even more of a money line favorite since the, the since the line opened up for sure on on Sunday night. Um, I thought I thought I think the line before Washington even playing Washington State was just kind of silly. Like the other team hasn't even played yet, so it's hard to judge a line. But I think it makes sense. Uh, just at least on the surface level, there's obviously Washington is going to go down as one of the best teams in Pac-12 history. Why? Because they're the only team in Pac-12 history to go undefeated during conference play. I've talked about it all year long and all of last year that no team was able to do it. And of course, in the very final season of the Pac-12, there is a team that did it. Goes a perfect 9-0 in conference play. 
And credit to them. They're a damn good team, a damn good program. They've got a damn good quarterback. Um, and I think that this game is going to be closer than the line suggests because of the kind of overshadowed nature of this team right now. Everybody kind of expects Oregon to go in there and wax them. And uh, that's I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a closely contested game because that's the way these rivalry games usually are. Um, you know, it hasn't always been like that the last couple of seasons, or at least in very recent memory. But for a long time, like these are these are closer games just because they're rivalry games. Um, but Oregon has done a very good job in the last two months of making every game not close, except for the one USC one, which wasn't even that close. So do do we feel like if Oregon's going to cover, is this going to be because that would obviously mean they win? Um, is that going Usually, to be because yeah. yes uh if the defense just plays exceptionally well and shuts down the washington offense or do we just think oregon's just going to and i hate this phrase in sports outscore the other opponent because that is believe it or not how you win a contest you outscore the opponent but like they just operate at a level that washington can't sustain like I, I think it's going to be because it's, it, Oregon just does about what they normally do offensively, but the defense just rises up and kind of shuts down. And I use that in a very loose term, um, the Washington defense or the Washington offense. I don't think this is going to be like a 63, 40 shut. You know, yeah. I don't think there's, I don't, I don't think there's any other way than if the defense steps up, like if there's, if like if Oregon were to cover and win by 17, it would have to be like a bunch of turnovers from Washington's side and maybe a defensive touchdown, something like that, to give Oregon a boost in their game. Because if both teams are operating on all cylinders on offense and neither defense is putting up any type of uh, any type of uh, competition against them, then like you know both teams could score fifty pretty easily, or at least the high forties. So I think it has to take one of the defenses uh, causing turnovers, maybe scoring a defensive touchdown, but certainly shutting down some drives and not letting them score on every single possession like we saw in Seattle a couple, actually like a month ago, two months ago, month ago, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I think I have a lot of confidence Oregon scoring at least 35. Just because they've done that every Mm -hmm. single game, they they were basically able to do that in Seattle. It was 33. Um, so I have a ton of confidence Oregon's offense is going to get it done. So it does come down to the defense. And and this comes back to sort of the questions. I don't know if we want to get into like matchups or what parts sure. of the game you think are going to decide it. But yeah. I mean, like, let's just jump in and talk about where this game could be won for Washington, which is if this replacement player, I think we're all assuming Jaleel Florence is out. So it's probably going to be Dante Manning. Like, if that player is is abused in coverage, if if Oregon is unable to mask that deficiency, uh, Matt pointed out earlier this week some of the shortcomings the safeties have had um, in in past years against Washington. Um, there there are a ton of places where Washington will try to go with the football just because of the matchups they can create, and they're going to try to find those. And 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 I think I'm very very curious to see how the secondary steps up. I think I've been probably, you know, to Jared's point earlier in the week, like they've been one of the groups that have impressed me the most just because there were the most question marks coming into the season. Um, and since Washington, and I guess aside from the Washington State game the week after, like there just hasn't been really any shoddy performances. They played really, really well. Um, but they're down a couple of guys right now. And how much of an impact does that have? Because I do truly think like, I again, if I'm penciling Oregon's offense in to score 
35, 38, 41 points, somewhere in that range, which I think feels realistic. Can that defense hold Washington in check? And if you're Washington and with how good of a play call Ryan Grubb is, you know they're going to try to exploit the weaknesses. And Oregon, with, without a couple of defensive backs, potentially has a couple of places to, to pick at. So I'll, I'll be curious to see how the fill-in players perform right there at the corner, just because I think that's an area where, let's be realistic about it, in Seattle, that was another one of those kind of deciding factors was that Oregon had a lot of backup cornerbacks on the field at the end of that game. I don't know if you want to put the blame entirely on Triquez Bridges because I think that's a heck of a throw and Roma Dunze made a heck of a play. But that was those were some of the areas where, hey, Washington turned, got the ball after Oregon turned it over on downs and needed two plays to go score, right? Like there was not resistance there. They struggled to make the plays at the end of the game. I'll be very curious to see how that group performs. So I think that's kind of where I'm I'm focused most, which is probably a pretty obvious choice, but probably should just reiterate that one to start kind of breaking down some of the matchups we're interested in. Yeah, I think that's the most obvious choice, and I think it's the, the, the correct choice. I think that is really honestly one of the biggest sole determiners of the game. Um, I'm going to go a little off the beaten path, and I'm going to do Oregon's tackles against Washington's uh, edge rushers, and specifically Braylon Trice. Um, and ZTF, although I just don't think ZTF is as good as Trice, and the stats show that and the play shows that, but I still think they're both good players. Against Washington in Seattle, Josh Connolly Jr. did not have a great day at the office, to say the least, against Braylon Trice. And I've gone and rewatched a couple of the Washington games since then, and I think they've done a really good job of moving Trice along the defensive line kind of similar to what Oregon does with Brandon Dorless, but Trice is more of a true edge rusher while Dorless is more of a true interior guy. So they don't have him line up on in, in the interior as often, but every once in a while he'll throw his hand in the dirt. Every once in a while he'll <clears throat> excuse me, be standing up. Every once in a while he'll be just kind of coming on a delayed blitz or faking a coverage and then coming in. Like I think they've done a good job of, of keeping it uh, interesting with Trice and not just making him solely a guy who's going to come in off the left edge. Um, but for Connerly, I think he's done much better as a left tackle in recent games and recent weeks. I thought he was really good against Utah, against a really good defensive line. I thought Oregon's entire offensive line was good against Utah. But um, this is going to be a huge matchup between just uh, a young kid and Josh Connerly and only his first year starting, and Braylon Trice, who's a true veteran of the Pac-12. And it's going to be damn important for Oregon, as it always has been, to keep Bo Nix on his feet. And I know that sounds pretty rudimentary, and it is, because if Bo Nix is, is on his feet and able to throw or able to run, like that's obviously a very good sign for Oregon. Um, and I think that's going to be a really important matchup. I, I, I really like Braylon Trice as a player. I think he's going to be a good draft pick, and I think he's going to be a good NFLer. And this is an opportunity for Connerly to showcase why he's going to be both of those things as well. Um, I think a Johnny Cornelius for ZTF is going to be another interesting matchup. Um, and I'm not even going to tr try to pronounce his name, but number 91 on Washington's defensive line is a dog. Um, he was really, really good against Oregon State. And that'll be a fun matchup to watch between him, JPJ, Stephen Jones, Marcus Harper, whoever, Ayapani Lalulu, anybody who lines up against him because he's a – He's a good player, 91 on defenses for Washington. So uh, I think that'll be kind of an underrated matchup in this game, but uh, still very important for Oregon's offensive success. Tuli Ledesagonia, 
something like yeah. that. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I, I I agree not trying that. I shouldn't have either. <laughs> uh, that's a good pick. I, I I don't think Washington's defense of line doesn't get enough recognition for the pressures that they can also generate. And Oregon's tackles are good, as Jared said, but still got to prove it on the field in this game. Um, mm-hmm. I'll go to the run game, and specifically with Oregon. Um, I asked Dan Lanning this week. I asked a couple guys up front along the offensive line. They've all said that, you know, they feel like they're running the football fine. And it's certainly understandable when Bo Nix is playing like he is that you don't lean on the run game too much. Um, But through Oregon's first seven games of the season, the Ducks hit 200 or more rushing yards in the game six times. Now, granted, two of those six, seven games were against – Hawaii and Portland State, and that probably factors in here a little bit. And they also had Stanford in that game as in that in that swing as well. But over their final five games, they've crossed over 150 as a team just once. And that was 153 against California. Um in Oregon's last four games, the Ducks have failed to average more than four and a half yards per carry. When in the first eight, they averaged 6.6 yards per carry. Um, some of that is because of how well they're throwing the football, how well Bo Nix is playing. Like you, you want to feed into that as much as you can. I also think some of that is there's just been some adjustments opponents have been making on Oregon's offensive line and their run game. I think whatever it is, they just haven't produced at a high of a clip as they have earlier in the season. And Dan even said, you know, on Monday that at times they've been really good and at other times they have certainly room to improve and that they need to get better at. But he did say that, you know, when we've needed to run the football, they've been able to do it. Um, I think this is going to be a game where, whether it was like the first time around when they were trying to run the clock out or during the middle of the game, something's going to happen. They're going to need to be run the, be able to run the football. And, the last couple of weeks, they haven't been nearly as effective um, as they have been at the beginning of the season. I don't know why, um, but I think that's something to monitor here. I just it, – it's it's just something that's like you don't really realize it. It's, it's not an issue, but it's also kind of like, ooh, that's different. Something's, something's going on there. It's a good one, Matt. You know, I, and it's in part because you look at the last two Washington games, and obviously Washington's won them both, but extremely competitive games where Oregon has scored a lot of points. They've run the ball really effectively. Like two of Bucky's four best games since he's come to Oregon have been the two Washington games. He ran for 127 earlier this year. He ran for 149 last year. The 149 is still his career high. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think this is a game where you obviously do have to have some run success. Not that, that they haven't had any recently, but the explosive runs have been cut down a little bit. Now, granted, Jordan James had like a, like two or three runs this last weekend where he was a, a, an arm tackle in the hole away from yeah. breaking one for 45 yards. Like he had a couple of plays like that, but they just same against been. ASU too. Yeah, and both true. running backs. They're all like they've had I don't know probably they've five or six a- total runs where it's like, well, if they broke that, it probably would have plus 30, plus 20 more. So right, and so and that would totally skew Happens. some of these conversations. Yeah. But I do think it's just in general, it's important to establish the run game with the sort of success they've had the last few times I played Washington because. This is a Husky defense that I think has played better and better as the year has gone on, and that's played a lot into the fact that they are still 12-0, is the fact that 
sure Penix, we talked about it all weeks, kind of had some up and down play by his standard, which again is Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback standard. But the defense has kind of been able to pick them up, make the plays. Think about that Arizona State game, the interception, the pick six. Like they didn't score an offensive touchdown. They still were able to survive that one. Uh, this last game against Washington State, I thought they really rallied late, made some plays. Like Oregon State, same thing. Like there's been, they forced turnovers against the Beavers to kind of hold on to that one. Like there's been plays made by this defense. So I think it's imperative Oregon is able to, to be balanced in this game and, and running the football to Matt's point. I don't have a great explanation for it either. We just mentioned the fact there's been a play here or a play there that probably would have skewed it if they would have broken it. But I was just, I had the splits at the first seven games, 137.6 yards, the last five, 200, or sorry, inverse that, the first seven, uh, 225.4 yards per game, the last five, 137.6. So there has been a pretty significant drop off over that span. I think Bo's just being, as he put it on one of those cinematic recaps, as dialed in as he's ever been, factors into it. And he gave a comment, um, I think it was, trying to rack my brain of when he spoke, whether it was Saturday, Friday night, or I think it was Tuesday afternoon. Um, He said after practice, like, they've kind of figured out what they're good at offensively. And... I think some of that is also the shift of what you know Dan said middle of the year about how you know they started doing some things with Tez and moving him around in the in the field of what they were throwing you know, where they were throwing him the football and stretching teams vertically but also horizontally with him and I think there's been that shift of the, they've kind of figured out like okay we are absolutely amazing in this position and we've got a quarterback as a trigger man is playing his best football. It's just feed into what Will Stein likes to say, feed the studs of, you know, feeding your best stud and Bo Nix the ball. I think that factors into it, but, you know, and Stein, Jared's been, I think that most adamant about this all year is that Stein likes to throw the football more than he likes to run it. And like, I think we're just seeing part of that play out, but it's interesting because I think Bucky is truly one of the best running backs in the country. And they're kind of, the production's just not showing it anymore. Yeah, I'm kind of caught in between of thinking, like, is this concerning or is it just because they're throwing for, like, 400 yards a game over the last five games? Like, I don't I, think I don't it's know. That, it, I think it's that part mostly. but I think it's mostly that. I mean, they're putting up 597, 552, 603, and 480 in their last four games in total yards. So it's like – It's really good. Okay. And they're still averaging over four yards to carry, so it's like two two runs and you're in third and short. Like, there are worse things, and I agree. Like, it's different than when they were playing Stanford and when they were playing Colorado and when they were playing Washington the first time around, where they have like over 200 yards on the ground. But you know, I think Oregon gets the best shot from every other opposing team's defense. I think they've gone against some sneaky good rush defensive teams um like utah being an obvious one they get usc immediately after a defensive coordinator change so everybody's going to try to be like on their best behavior for the new guy and i think arizona state's not as bad of a defensive line as a lot of people imagine that they are um they have some, some some good defensive guys there and they they did that they had a couple tackles for loss against bucky and against jordan james i don't i don't think it's um I don't think it's a big issue, but I do think that they need to establish it right away because if I'm Washington, I'm, you know, I'm expecting Oregon to come out there and try to throw the ball. 
because that's, I mean, Bo has 40, 36, 32, 46 pass attempts in his last couple of games. Like, that's a lot. And he was only 33, 35, 25 against Wazoo and 31 against Utah. Like he's clearly upped it. Um, he's really in a rhythm right now, like you said, after practice. And I would expect Oregon to try uh, to establish the run to then establish Bo. And if Washington can't defend the run, then, you know, that gives Oregon an upper hand because then Washington has to score quick to keep up with them. They can't dilly-dally. They can't get their run game started. And then Oregon doesn't need to stack the box and they can go double Roma Dunze. So, I don't know. We'll see. Game planning is a lot of fun for these college coaches. I, I had one question before we go into our prediction segment. How do we feel sure. about Oregon's perimeter defense against Washington's rush offense. I think the first half in Seattle, Dylan Johnson had a ton of success off tackle there. Mm -hmm. And as we, I think you would just say, like, if you were to say, what's the weakness of this Oregon defense, it's probably that standing edge rushers, just because they're relying on extremely inexperienced players or players that are maybe a step slow on some downs. You just think of like, sometimes if you, if you look up, I hate to say like Jake Shipley is just not in position or Mace Funa is not in position or you're relying on true freshmen. So to me, that's another area to just like kind of highlight here as we wrap this up is how, how are we feeling about those guys and being ready to step up? Because the Wash, I thought Washington really went after Oregon's edge guys to start, especially in the first half of that game up in Seattle. I think Birch is playing significantly better football. Um, yeah, I'm not even including him as much in this group, but yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. You're, you're more like you're talking like Mateo and Purchase and Tatum. Tatum. And and Marion and Mace yeah. and Jake, more of those guys. Um, I think they've played better as the season has gone on since that Washington game. But I think it is a concern. I mean, I know Mateo played against Oregon State, and I know that he made a sack in that game or he pushed his offensive lineman into his brother to get the sack. But um, he still is, like, dealing with something. Like, he a couple weeks ago he was – out for a game um i i think tatum's kind of like the the noticeable like in the box score type stat type stuff he's kind of dropped off the last couple of weeks um he plays still and he's still impactful but the, the like the physical production you just don't see it as much um i think it's a concern but i also think the dylan johnson injury kind of maybe nullifies some of that like he's not he's not going to be this as explosive but i mean washington had one of the better rushing performances on a per carry average against oregon all season long and i think that has to be a concern here um and you can't bring up safeties to the line of scrimmage to help in that regard because then that exposes the play action over the top one-on-one -on -one with rome with dunze which you do not want to do I think perimeter runs have been a, a real problem in Oregon's defense this season. I think that a lot of teams have been able to get outside and run on them. Um, and whether it's outside linebackers or just the fact that Oregon runs predominantly a 4-2-5 and you can run from, to the other side of where the, the nickel safety, nickel cornerback is, um, I think that certainly helps. But um, I, yeah, Oregon, or excuse me, Washington really did a really good job in the first half of that first Oregon game where they, they ran to the edge. Um, they pulled their guards, they pulled their tackles, Roger Rosengarten's their right tackle off the top of my head. Um, he's really good. I really like watching him play. He was a guy that Oregon under Mario Cristobal really wanted and did not get. And now you can see why he's a big guy, six, six, he's athletic. He can get outside and 
um, pancake some guys. I mean, the play that Jaleel Florence and Kyrie Jackson got messed up on was a run to the outside because Oregon was sitting pass and Jaleel Florence and Kyrie Jackson took two pancakes from a Nor uh, Washington offensive line. Um, they're physical. They can get outside on the edge. They're athletic. Uh, Dylan Johnson, we're not sure what his injury is, so he might be hampered. He might not be. He might be 100%, and then that outside run becomes a real threat. Um, I think that Oregon will need to play their best guys for more than they usually do, which really hasn't happened this year. Um, like only two defensive linemen are in like the top six or top seven of Oregon's total snap counts this year. And that's Brandon Doris and Jordan Birch. Um, everybody else is like 11, 12, 15, 18, 19. They, they might have to play a lot of guys or not a lot of guys, but you know, a short segment of guys, a lot of snaps. And I think we've been seeing it a little bit. There's been more Birch, more Doorless, more Popo. Uh, more Taki Taimani in the interior, and then like less Blake Purchase. Um, it also is matchup dependent, but I think that the outside runs are a real problem. They have been all year, even against like Texas Tech, um, even against Stanford in the first quarter where they did have some runs. It was out to the right or left side. It was outside the tackles. So um, I'm sure Oregon is planning for that. I think they've gotten better at it, but I still think it's a problem. Every time you watch a game, there's usually one or two that go for eight to 10 yards, which again, when Oregon is playing such uh, so good on defense, you can sit here and nitpick when it's two or two or three outside tackle runs that go for 12 to 15 yards. You want to, because you remember why you remember that those specific ones happen because more often than not, they don't. But um, when you're nitpicking against with a really good defense, you remember exactly like, OK, these are these were the problems. Have they fixed these? Because there's so few of them that they're even more obvious. But um, I think if Washington really wants to set the run game, they have to go on the outside. I think Oregon's interior defensive line is yeah. uh, has, a, has a clear advantage. And uh, that's what Wash or excuse me, that's what Oregon State tried to do. Jordan Birch did an excellent job setting the edge. And when they tried to go inside, it didn't really work either. So. Um, I think Oregon's rush defense overall is very, very, very good. But Washington will certainly try to work their way around it and add some new wrinkles, maybe some jet sweeps, fly sweeps, whatever you want to call them, uh, just to get someone going on the perimeter. Real quick, the, Justin Jacobs was not in this game for Oregon either. And I know he's not on the outside of the edges, but he was brought in to stop the run. And he could maybe have a factor in, in that as well. Maybe. Maybe. Yep. Um, but it's just notable he wasn't in this game, and he, he will be. All right, let's take a quick break. Um, when we come back, we'll dive into our predictions. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. 
So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo. And they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Updating quickly the leaderboard. Jared's still in first place. Uh, we all went one and three last week, so nothing changes in that regard. Um, game prediction leaderboard. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've not updated the leaderboard, but I do know the, the places. I just ran out of time. Um, I was the only one to hit both straight up and the cover. Yep. Uh, you, Eric and Jared hit straight up, but they did not hit uh, the cover. So um, it looks like Eric and I. I had a 12 and 0 regular season, Matt. You did have a 12 and 0 regular season straight up. Pretty darn impressive. Yeah. Um, uh, Eric and I will be tied with the overall score. And I think Jared's going to be one behind or so. Um, math is hard when you're talking at the same time. But all right. Um, We are going to go uh, offensive team prediction first. Um, I will go first. So I I think I touched on it with the run game, the questions there. I don't know if they're going to have a huge day like on the ground successfully running for 200 yards in this one. That would kind of surprise me um, unless – Bucky or Jordan James kind of rips off like a 65, 75 yard touchdown run um, to kind of set the stage there. Um, But I am going to say Oregon um, has some success scoring the ball, rushing the touchdowns. Uh, Last time they scored four touchdowns in a game was against California uh, the first weekend in November, the next three games this season. Um, They've had just three total rushing touchdowns. Uh, it's by far the lowest output over a three-game span in the Dan Lanning era. I think Oregon hits three rushing touchdowns in this one uh, to get themselves back on track from a production success on the ground. I do think they're going to run for 200 yards. In fact, that's my, that's my prediction, Matt. Um, okay. I, I think that there is going to be value in establishing the ground game again i think washington's secondary sneakily has i think kind of stepped up its game they've had some players sort of emerge there Uh, i think it's going to be imperative oregon runs it and again if you go look through the two games these teams have played most recently you know oregon and maybe the oregon did lose both those games so maybe they're like hey we need to get away from the run actually we don't need to do that but they ran the ball really really effectively in both of those games bucky as i said earlier had really good days both times so uh, I'm going to go 200 yards or more. 
Um, Oregon hasn't been over 200 since Washington State. We kind of ran through all that earlier, but they've. They, they, I think there's we, we kind of we talked it through that there's I think a value in this one in particular of of, of getting some success on the ground. So I'm going to say 200 on the ground, which should be the first time in a little over a month. I like that. I'm interested to see what the game plan is, but all right. Um, can anybody tell me what the total or the highest number of yards allowed by Washington's defense is this year? It's like 500 something against USC, I think. It is 541 yards against the University of Oregon in their Ooh. loss or in Washington's win in Oregon's loss. Um, I think Oregon beats it. Like they go higher than 541. I thought that they had really easy success the first time around. I thought they had a great game plan. Um, I know that there were some fourth down conversions that just didn't happen. There were some red zone attempts that just didn't happen. They were Oregon was 0 for 2 on fourth down in the red zone. Can't have that. Um, if there is a conversion on just one of those attempts, obviously Oregon wins the game. If there's a conversion on two of those attempts, Oregon is up by double digits. Um, I think that they go over 541 again. I know Washington has uh, done better on defense recently, but I'm still looking at the fact that I watched that Utah game where they only won by seven and allowed all those yards in the first half. Obviously, Utah did not score in the second half. It did not look great in the second half, but those are some big chunk plays to a Utah team that Oregon absolutely demolished on defense. So I've got them going over 541 yards. I think that's um, it's a little risky, but... Uh, I think that they, they've had Washington's number the last two years, and I think they continue to get it. All right. Offensive player. I'm, I'm going back to the well, even though I didn't get anything. I'm going back to Tez Johnson. Um, Go back to him. Yeah, I, I like that. Man, um, yeah, it was, a little, it was a little extra to ask for two touchdowns last week, so – you know, shame on me. But again, we're we're bold enough predictions. Um, so this week, I've got seven plus catches for ninety five plus yards and one or more touchdowns. I've cut it down. I'm going back to one. Um, I'm hoping he can get me at least one score. Uh, you know, we talked about him earlier on this podcast. He's just been fantastic over the last five weeks, and they've really found a rhythm offensively to get him and Troy Franklin the ball. Um, I think they continue to do that. I don't love Washington's past secondary. Tez went for 770 or 771 the first time around. So 10 yards a grab is really good. Um, obviously, Troy had a really good day there. Um, but I think Oregon's passing offense is significantly better, which is hard to think of than it was when they played on October 14th. With that being said, I think Tez Johnson eats because of that. So seven catches, 95-plus yards, one or more touchdowns. I like that. I, I've never done it before, but I, what about if we started doing like fantasy score totals for individual players like this? You know what I mean? Be like, yeah, we would have to get into a, a full PPR, half PPR, no PPR. I, 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 I would say let's do half PPR. But anyway, we, we can discuss that as a possibility going forward. I just was something I was thinking of with your test prediction tough last to, week. Tough to bring up at this point of the year, too. Not oh, a, no, no, not I, a whole I'm lot just, of games left there. Oh, I'm just saying hypothetically for you. I was thinking of you last week because you had – Huge Tez day, but it didn't count because of the touchdowns. Of doesn't well, mean anything, right? Right. Uh, okay. Uh, I've already kind of established I'm I'm in on this Oregon run game for this one, so I'm going to go back to the Bucky Irving well, which is one I haven't gotten to I think this whole season. 
Um, longtime listeners know last year this was not good for either Bucky or my prediction uh, in terms of getting there because I think he was like 0 for 4 uh, when I predicted he would have a big game. But I, he's had two, as I said earlier, really big rushing games, two of his best games against Washington in the, in the, in the two previous matchups. I think, I think it's really imperative to get him going. Um, I think he runs just like if you go back and watch the highlights from these two games, like he's had some of his signature runs in these games where he, again, classic Bucky met, met, you know, two or three yards downfield, turns it into a nine yard game, you know, or met at the line of scrimmage, turns it into a five yard game or turns a 12 yard run into a 23 yard run. Cause he makes a safety miss at the next level. So I think he's going to have a bunch of Bucky type of plays in this one. I don't know if they're going to try to um, necessarily like increase his workload a significant amount. I'm not sure I expect him to finish with like 20 carries in this game, but I think he's going to go for 125 or more yards in this one, which again, he's only done um, four times in his career and twice against Washington. I like that one. Um, mine is somewhat run centric, but it's also not a bucking one. Um, I think this is when Bo wins the Heisman. And I think whether we will ever get them to admit it or not, I think there's going to be a little bit of gamemanship if they can pull it off to maybe pad the stats a little bit for Bo. Um, he's going to complete 80% or more of his throws in this game. I think we're going to see some designed runs. We saw a little bit of it against Oregon State. I think we're going to see a little bit of it in this one. Uh, I think he runs for a touchdown. I think he throws for multiple touchdowns. And he doesn't turn the football over in this one. Uh, he is going to have one of his best games of his career, not just at Oregon, but in general. And I think he is basically, for any voter that hasn't submitted their vote yet for Jaden Daniels, I think they're going to watch that game and they're going to go, well, Jaden doesn't play tomorrow. And the vote goes now to Bo. I, I think Bo has his Heisman moment by having what will go down as one of his best games he's ever had. So rushing uh, score. I just want to. I just so rushing score two at least two passing scores and no turnovers. And eighty percent completion. And eighty percent. Okay. Cool. Um, defensive team prediction here. Uh, Penix has only thrown two interceptions in a game once this season. Ironically enough, it came against ASU the game in which Washington's offense didn't score a touchdown um, in that game. Uh, breaking news, Washington will score an offensive touchdown against the Oregon Ducks, so I'm not going to be picking that as my my prediction here. But I am going to say Oregon picks Penix off at least twice in this wow. game. Um, I, I think the defensive line is hyper-focused on hitting Michael Penix, and they know that he's dealing with something. And I think it's very clear he's not playing his best football right now. And if they can factor into that and play into that, that's going to lead to some some interceptions, some underthrows or some tip balls or something. And maybe it's just like what happened with Jalil Florence where Roma Dunze or whoever he was, he was targeting simply slipped and the ball went right to Jalil Florence. Um, Luck will be on Oregon's side a little bit there, but I think two picks or more by Oregon's defense in this game. That's a bold one. Now, Penix has had some issues, which is going to get into mine. Um, 
two turnovers. I like it. Okay, I uh, sort of similar thinking here. Um, we talked about it with the splits for the season, where Penix was obviously the Heisman favorite after the Oregon Washington game, and ever since it's kind of you've seen his odds sort of drop, and that's because the stats haven't quite been there. Um, I think Oregon is going to hold Penix um, below fifty-five percent completion percentage. Both Oregon State and Washington State did it against Oregon up in Seattle on October 14th. He was at 59.5%. Um, I think they're going to get to him quite a bit. Now, I don't know if I see them finishing with high sack totals in part because teams have hit Penix a lot this season, but he's only been sacked nine times, right? Like Oregon and Washington are the two best uh, teams in the Pac-12 and two of the best teams nationally in, in avoiding sacks. And I don't necessarily expect him to be sacked five times like that i think that would be extremely bold but i do think they'll get to him and i think eventually that'll have that'll that'll pay a toll um on him physically and i I expect that to be a situation where eventually you want to protect yourself and maybe you throw the ball a little bit quicker than you want that leads to some incompletions and some bad balls so i'll say 55 percent completion percentage or lower for for michael penix i like that one i've been been changing this defensive team prediction basically the entire show Um, because it's it's been a really weird season for Washington they've had uh, I mean some incredible ups like they had 713 yards against Michigan State in you know week three of the season and then they've had they've only had three games under 300 yards the entire year but two of them have come in the last two weeks against uh, Oregon State and Washington State so or sorry they had 306 yards against Washington State. My bad. So under 307 yards. They've had three games. Um, It's a weird one. And a lot of the misfires from this offense have come in the last month and have come, honestly, well, a little bit more than that ever since they played Oregon. And the Michael Penix injury, as real or as fake as it actually is, it's there's something there that is affecting the ability for Washington's offense to do well. But um, I, I think I finally landed on one similar to Matt's prediction, but from the other side of the spectrum. It's not the results of the throw because of the pressure. It's the results of the pressure. I've got Oregon with over three and a half sacks. Um, I, I went through it on yesterday's podcast. Oregon had 21 total pressures, or, or I think it was 21 total pressures against Penix last time against Washington. I think they get home. I think they get home even more. Um, I think there is the proverbial blood in the water sense that, you know, Penix might actually be injured. And we talked to Brandon Dorless about it, and he was, you know, he's Brandon Dorless. He's, he's, at this point, he's paid to go and hit quarterbacks. And he was kind of giddy at the idea of going and, and chasing down Michael Penix and, you know, trying to get him to the ground, which all defensive linemen are. It's not just Brandon Dorless, and it's not just the University of Oregon, as from people I've seen on Twitter claiming Oregon is a dirty program. But I think Oregon gets to the quarterback more than three and a half times. So pretty simple. But defensive player, I'm going back to a player we haven't talked about in a minute, Taishim Johnson. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've got him over seven tackles. Uh, you know, I looked through the the stats from last game. <clears throat> Steve Stevens led the way with seven tackles. Evan Williams had six. Um, this is an opportunity for guys who are going to be playing in the secondary to be around the ball and make some tackles. And yeah, it's been a minute since Tyshim Johnson had had a great game. 
I thought he was really good against Oregon State. He had one blown assignment, which you know, happens, but he was really good on special teams, and he was good as a slot corner, slot safety, whatever you want to call him. So I got him over seven tackles. I just think that Washington is going to – they're obviously going to be throwing the ball a lot. That's what they do. And uh, I think he'll come down in the run game and be effective as well when they decide to run the ball. Um, but I just thought, you know, why not? A little Tysheem Johnson action for everybody. I like that you brought his name up because I think you're right. We don't talk about him quite as much, and he's such a – I think he's just a consistent performer, right? And, yeah. maybe, and, and that's probably why we don't predict him to predict – you know, have big stat games necessarily. But Tysheem's been, I think, really, really good this season. Um, and he's, he's on the field the really most important. by far of anyone else on the team on defense. Yeah. No, he's an, an incredibly important member of this defense compared to what it was last season. Tysheem yeah. is leaps and bounds better than whoever they were playing there last year. Bennett mostly. Um, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to stick with a name that we've talked about a lot and we just were talking about a second ago. Brendan Dorless sure seemed pretty fired up about hitting Michael Penix. And I think he's going to do that. I think he's going to do that multiple times. So I'm going to say one and a half or more sacks for Mr. Dorless. Um, I said it earlier like Penix has been set, or yeah, he's been sacked nine times all season and he's been hit a lot, but sacked not all that often. I think Dorless is going to have a great day here. I, I think what's been really encouraging over the last month of the season is just the chemistry that Dorless and Birch seem to have and, and the difficulty of which defenses are, 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 are offenses, sorry, have shown in terms of protecting their quarterbacks against both of those guys. I, I, won't, I won't make it the multiple players prediction here, but I, I think Dorless and Birch are going to both have big games. I think they're both going to come alive. And I think people are going to come out of this game talking about Oregon, you know, obviously I'm going to spoil, I'm going to predict Oregon wins, but I think the conversation around Oregon going to the playoff is they have some real game records up front. This is not the traditional Oregon where you go, oh, they've got these great offensive skill players, but they're soft on the defensive line. I think people are going to come out of Friday's game saying, those guys have some dogs up front, and I think Dorless is going to be kind of central there with at least one and a half sacks. Well, I was going to go Dorless one and a half sacks. Um, so that one was next. Uh, I will, I will just transition it to to Birch and and getting one sack. I'll, I'll drop the half to one. Um, I think Birch has been absolutely tremendous the last couple of weeks he's been really close to getting sacks as well because i'm with eric i i think this defensive line is going to be terrific in this game um so i will change mine to birch all right uh game picks um i've gone back and forth um i i don't think this is going to be utah 2019 where Oregon just absolutely blasts Washington. Um, I also think this could be very similar to like how the USC game played out this season. Um, Oregon's in total control the entire way. They have a, a multiple score lead the basically the entire way. Um, I think Oregon's better. I think some some things have happened the last two times that these two teams have played primarily coaching decisions uh, that have cost Oregon losses or have, have cost Oregon wins, uh, opportunities to win this game. Um, I think Oregon plays pretty fired up, pretty inspired football. We've seen what they have done when they are motivated 
um, by previous outcomes, i.e. the Utah game or um, the Oregon State game most recently, or maybe some ulterior motives, i.e. the Colorado game. Like this team just comes out and plays unreal football. And I think we get that type of a performance Friday night in Vegas. So give me Oregon 38, Washington 28, a 10-point win for the Ducks. Um, I almost went in the 40s for Oregon, but I just felt like that was maybe a little too much. Um, but, yeah, 38-28, Oregon. Well, we've predicted the identical scores, and I'm just going to stick with it because I've already written what I wanted to write about it. But, yeah, I, I had Oregon 38-28. Um, I don't think – I don't know if this ever becomes more than like a 10, 14-point game, though. I think this is going to be a game where Oregon takes a bit of an early lead and Washington remains in contact throughout. And I think it's going to be one where obviously Oregon wins by 10 points, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's still a lot of sweating late. There's still a lot of, we need to make this, this conversion has to happen or else we lose. I think this is going to be, I don't expect this is one where you you know, player you know, fans are in the parking lot at Allegiant smoking cigars, you know, midway through the third quarter. Cause you know, they're up three scores and they feel, and it's over kind of thing. I don't expect it gets there. Um, if that does happen and you do do that, why don't you tag us on social media? If Oregon does get a big lead and you guys want to have a victory cigar in the parking lot, go ahead and, and send us your submissions. But I don't anticipate it's that. I think it's going to be, like I said, at most 10-14 throughout the game and Oregon holds on 38-28. to And I do think it will have a similar feeling to USC in that at the end of the game, you're going to be thinking, Oregon's played better. Oregon's the better team. Are we? Is this really going to be the way it's going to go? Because remember, there was that weird kind yes. of shift at the end of the USC game where you're kind of going like, wait, Oregon's been up three scores and in complete control all day. Is this really going to be as close as it is? I think there could be a moment of that late where you're kind of going like, wait, I thought Oregon was in control the whole way and Washington's in position to maybe make it really interesting late. But I'll, I'll, I'll stick with 38-28 Oregon winning. I've got Oregon winning 38-30. So I think we're all very clearly on the same page here um i i'm with eric and i'm with matt i i just don't think it's going to be a blowout of any sort um i think that this this game means way too much to washington and way too much to oregon um for them not to give 110 percent from both sides and you know whoever may or may not be injured um i think whatever they're going to <laughs> whatever they're going to give them is going to make them play at the level that we all anticipate them playing at um, I really like this Washington team. I picked them earlier in the season to beat Oregon. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the home field advantage that Washington had. Um, I think this time around, obviously, the neutral neutral side is going to favor whoever's been playing better. And, you know, I listened to Josh Pate's prediction on this. Um, and he had an interesting point where Oregon does not have to change the, what they are doing right now in order to win, but Washington may have to change some things in order to win. And that was an interesting idea. And to be honest, he's, he's correct that Oregon is playing at such an elite level right now on both sides of the football. Um, you know, they're rarely messing up on defense. They are rarely messing up on offense. Yeah, they had a couple of punts against Oregon State, but Oregon State's defense is actually quite good. And that matchup with Washington two weeks ago was a really fun matchup because uh, Oregon State got pressure. They had a lot of fun. They 
tried their damnedest to go and get Michael Penix, but eventually it was just the Roma Dunze connection became too much. Um, in the back of my brain, there are some thoughts about Roma Dunze specifically and Michael Penix specifically, because those guys, if they start connecting on every single drive, this game could go haywire in the other direction. And Washington mm-hmm. could be walking out going 2-0 and this year against Oregon and 3-0 and in the Dan Lanning Pac-12 uh, timeline here against the Ducks. Um, I don't know what Oregon will do to try and prevent that. I do assume that they will try their hardest and do something different to try to prevent that because sounds like a good idea. Um, I just think Oregon is the more talented team and playing better right now. It's kind of like March Madness where there's a four seed versus a one seed, but the four seed won the conference tournament and is really coming into their stride and beating people by 15 to 20 points, and then they face the one seed. And you're like, this four seed might do it. I'm not comparing Oregon to a four seed because I think they're obviously a top five team in the country. But right, I think that they're just playing better right now. I think that Washington is going to put up a hell of a fight. I think it's going to be an incredible game that I'm very, very, very annoyed and angry and sad that I will not be there for. And I think Oregon wins 38 to 30. Uh, Eric, do you got time for one quick question? Or I do. Give me a trivia question. I do have the guy to fix my heat coming anytime, but yeah, give me the trivia. What do we got? Uh, okay. Can you guys, this happened while we were recording. Um, the bear formerly of game day now of Fox dropped some hypothetical, uh, bet lines from Andrew sports. Who's a 40 year bookmaker on Twitter. Um, now Oregon versus Georgia. Predict the line here. We've already done the Action Network last podcast, Oregon's favorite over Michigan. That's a different, better, but this one is also the same. He has Oregon as a two-point favorite over Michigan. But Oregon, Georgia. Georgia minus six. Georgia minus one or two. Yes. Is it that close? Georgia minus one. Yeah. Wow. Again, Oregon is an analytics darling. Wow. Uh, the computers yes. love them. If this were the BCS, man, woo, computers would be Lord, putting Oregon I- way up there. I need to get uh, used to that. Okay. Wow. Yes. And I only bring that up because there's people going to go, oh, wow, they're super homers. They're picking Oregon to win. We're a team of 12 and 0 and beat them earlier in the season. Like Vegas views Oregon not only as a playoff team, but probably as the number two team in the country and a very clear national title contender. Washington's only listed once uh, in this one, or twice, sorry. They are a 10-point underdog to Georgia and a 7-point underdog to Michigan if they were to play those two teams. Uh, Oregon is favored over Michigan by two, and they're a one-point underdog to Georgia. Uh, Vegas believes this Oregon team is absolutely for real, which we'll find out on Friday. I mean, the computers love them, but the computers do not play the game. They don't play the games, do they, Jared? They don't. This is... This is why we play the game. <laughs> <laughs> we'll end it there. Uh, thanks for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Next time you hear from us, post game uh, of the Pac 12 Championship one. Uh, until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. <laughs>